Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trun Arnevenheim, futurist, author, investor, and serial entrepreneur. Join me as I discuss the societal impact of deep tech such as AI and blockchain, IoT, nanotech, quantum, robotics, and synthetic biology, and tackle topics such as entrepreneurship, trends, or the future of work. On the show, I interview smart people with a soul, founders, authors, executives, and other thought leaders, or even the occasional celebrity. Futurized is a bi-weekly show preparing you to think about how to deal with the next decade's disruption so you can succeed and thrive no matter what happens. Futurized, conversations that matter. In episode 154 of the podcast, the topic is managing remote work presence, and our guest is Alexander Ambiricos, CEO and co-founder of Remotion. In this conversation, we talk about what presence is in the workplace and how to manage remote presence and how digital tools can help. If you're new to the show, seek particular topics, or looking for a great way to tell your friends about the show, try futurize.org slash episodes that have collections of episodes that are categorized into topics such as entrepreneurship, trends, emerging tech, or the future of work. The host of this podcast, Trant Arne Unheim, is the author of Augmented Lean, Health Tech, Future Tech, Pandemic Aftermath, Disruption Games, and Leadership from Below. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, just go to futurize.org slash store. And before you do anything else, please subscribe to Futurized. You can do that at futurized.org. Thank you. Let's begin. Alexander, how are you today? Hello, Trund. Hope <laughs> so, I got the name right. Yes, yeah, I'm exactly. To chat. So yeah, right. So I gave you the long version of your name and you gave me the some Scandinavian version of my name. I like it. Nice. Yeah. Um, well, let's stay on that topic, uh, Alexander, because you you're kind of got an interesting mix, which is relevant to what we're going to be talking about, which is sort of co-working and, and, and presence. And, uh, you know, in order to establish presence, it's important to know who the other person is. So, so who are who are you? <laughs> who am I? Wow, that's such yeah, a well, profound. Who are you, and how did you question. get to 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 that uh, the startup and the the you know deep interest in uh, virtual work? Yeah, no. So, I mean, if I had to answer who I am in you know relevant to the podcast in a single line, I'd probably say I'm someone who likes building stuff for people. Uh, a little bit of the story, then. So, I'm half Greek, half Malaysian. Grew up all over the world, like you know, Asia, Europe. Only came to the States uh, because I wanted to work on aircraft, American aircraft specifically, and um, ended up realizing while I was I was like interning at aerospace companies, uh, both that I couldn't work on the cool aircraft in America because I wasn't American, but also that I really liked software and building stuff for people through software because it's just so much faster to, to you know talk to someone, get in front of them, talk to them about their needs. There's no marketing team to go through, uh, build some, write some code for them, and then get their feedback. And so I ended up transitioning to to software, um, working at Dropbox for a while. And, um, you know, I'll, I don't know, let me know if I should jump into like why Remotion, but basically ended up uh, leaving Dropbox after a few years, starting a gaming company. And then that gaming company pivoted in, into this startup, Remotion. But your bachelor, uh, you know, is in mechanical engineering. So you're an engineer from Stanford, and then you did some computer science there. 
so engineering and building things, that's what you're saying. That's, that's your, your passion is truly building. If you could, you would want to build physical things, but it yeah. seems a little easier to build in software. Yeah. Like I, I don't know. I think maybe like in a next, next career, like people, you know, everyone changes careers multiple times now. I would love to go back into the physical world, but it is, I think, harder to build stuff physically. Uh, you know, like an object we use every day, like a doorknob has had thousands of careers behind it. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. But I think so, that's part of the point that we're talking about, though, right? Mm. Uh, in order to establish some sort of presence, you're competing with something very real, which is physical infrastructure and people, which is organic infrastructure or whatever you want to call it. But it's it's something real and physical that reacts to you in a visceral way many times. Yeah. It's hard. So here's, here's the thing. Like, if we're going to talk about presence, right, and competing with something real, I think that actually, so I, you know... I didn't introduce what I work on. I'm working on a company called Remotion. We built something called a virtual office, helps teams have casual conversations, even if they're remote. Um, okay, with that context aside, actually, I don't think of us as competing with reality. I think of us as helping one reality compete versus another. So in one world, you move for your job, right? And so, yeah, you get to work with your coworkers in real life. Mm -hmm. But in another world, you don't move for your job and you get to be with your family or you get to be with your older community that you went to high school with in real life. And so we're basically saying like, hey, like if we could choose between having, you know, coworkers in real life or having uh, family, original community, whatever else it is you want to do in real life, we want to enable a set of people to choose that, that second thing. Um, because, you know, why is it one is or the other? Why is it one over the other? Couldn't it be one in one context and the other in another context? It well, could let's be. say I, I, I want to connect with my family, but I also want to you know, deeply connect with, with work, but you're saying, uh, you want to allow something that hasn't been possible at work, I guess, to have informal collaboration at a distance. That's the, because that's what you're trying to enable, uh, yeah. and, and working together at a distance really closely. Exactly. I mean, I think remote work means a lot of different things to different people, but you know, but everything's just always interpreted through our own lives. Right. Like in my case, I never expected to stay in California after college. But I got this job and it was much higher paying than I anticipated. And it was cool. And I liked the people I was working with. And, you know, every winter I'd get home and I'd talk to my parents about when I was moving back to Switzerland. And, you know, it still hasn't happened. Right. So I think a lot of people, like if you grew up around New York or San Francisco or like other tech hubs, just using tech because that's my experience. Yeah, you can do both. Um, or, but I know a lot of I have a lot of friends who moved from other countries. Uh, and, you know, for example, like my partner, Saya, hasn't been hadn't been back to Japan for two years uh, because of COVID, uh, right? And just saw her family recently when they, you know, she was finally able to make it back. So I think a lot of people are confronted with meaningful choices between the way that they want to live and the careers that they want to build. Hmm. So, okay, so you identified that as a, as a challenge. And, and a lot of people, to be fair, have uh, realized that this is a challenge these days, right? So virtual and hybrid or remote teams is sort of like, it went from being uh, almost like a theoretical concept for many people. Although, I mean, I would say I've been a remote worker for 20 years. Like, so if you were in a software industry, that was, this was your bread and butter. This is kind of what you were, were doing, especially if you were traveling. And, you know, so the, this sort of situation of being remote or hybrid has been a reality for some people, but the very, very new thing is that it became reality for everybody. And uh, so you grab that opportunity. Um, and I and I guess I'm, I'm curious, a lot of people interpret this 
future work challenge in in ways of you know okay so remote work it's a problem for the manager the manager needs to i don't know give people equal opportunities or whatever it is you see it somewhat differently the the, the thing that you think people are missing isn't the formal thing is it or is it, it is more the informal and and tell me why did you explore that so deeply this this sort of informal part of of, of work or or maybe is it a, a cultural aspect tell me how you got to to the shared presence idea which i think is so central to remotion yeah it's a it's a great question i think that if i was to answer in just a single sentence it, it's just identifying that the hardest thing to do remotely is to hang out um so okay unpacking a little bit um after i left dropbox i, I actually started a gaming company um, and the sort of observation that we had, or that I personally had, and everyone has different experiences again, but there's a set of people like me who weren't getting that much fulfillment out of interacting with people remotely, as it were, through social media. You know, you have your job, a lot of your friends, you interact with them on Instagram or whatever, right? That's actually a remote interaction. But I wasn't finding those interactions very fulfilling. And myself and a couple of co-founders, on the other hand, had had like very, I guess you could call them like rich childhoods through gaming. Um, and we're noticing that gaming was actually a great way to continue interacting with people remotely. It, it was a sort of rich like story and adventure, this thing you could do together. Uh, and it led to both like deeper interactions together, but also fun conversations during the downtime. And we started asking ourselves, you know, this only works for the set of people who like have a PC and they're going to like reliably boot up their PC every day. It's like a small population, but we're seeing all these people watching Twitch. Um, a much larger population, right? Including people who used to game, but don't game anymore. Is there a way that we could, use gaming as an excuse for people to hang out. Uh, and so I spent a year sort of scratching that itch of, of saying like, hey, you know, social media often leads to polarizing or superficial interactions, often, not always. Uh, but is there a way to find a different medium for hanging out online uh, that will lead to deeper interactions? And so that, that startup didn't work for reasons we could get into if you're interested, but it's always been something that I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with. And so when I started working on a different company, we were working on like some very boring, like B2, you know, business automation thing idea. And uh, my co-founder realized he had to move to Chicago to support his partner going to med school there. Um, and we started having conversations about being remote co-founders and all the advice, this is before COVID, all the advice was that we shouldn't do it. Um, it's funny how normal that would be today, but at the time the advice was don't do it. It doesn't make sense. Um, and so everyone who told us it didn't work, we we're like, what do they have in common? That was most people, by the way. And then we started reading about companies that were working remotely, and we realized that they had a very sort of opinionated way of doing the work, which is called async. Most people listening here probably know what that means, but it's, you know, it's asynchronous, like trying to avoid live conversation. And when you're going to talk live, make it very structured and formal. Um, and what we realized was that all the people who didn't want to work remotely or didn't think we should co-found remotely had one thing in common, which is they liked hanging out with other people in an unstructured way, right? And uh, we started realizing that, you know, we as, as co-founders also like hanging out and the sort of the random conversations that you have as a result of that, uh, you know, kind of like podcasty kind of conversations. And so um, we started thinking about why that was the case, started trying a bunch of different tools and ways of working and realized like, hey, like there's a, there's a missing gap here. There's gonna be a second wave of remote workers and that's going to be this bigger wave of, of teams that actually also like hanging out uh, who are working remotely, not because they prefer that way of work, but because they want that empowerment and flexibility to live where they want or to live how they want or to like take care of their family, you know, even if they, you know, go to the office less often, et cetera. Um, and so we've been working on that uh, we, since before COVID. 
And when COVID hit, we we weren't ready to have you know with a product, but we we were like, wow, we really need to put the thing we have that's really bad. <laughs> we need to put that thing out there. Uh, and so we started asking ourselves, like, how should we market this? Like, what problem do people recognize with remote work? And what it seemed like people were struggling with was just like the mechanics of talking, and like mm-hmm. that made that was making teams unproductive. And so we marketed our first product actually as a way to talk faster. It was very much like the thing you talked about managers caring about, like, oh, how do I make sure my team's communicating and like, you know, being productive. And actually that that worked. We had some success. We raised like uh, some money. Um, And then we hit this wall, like, I don't know, like maybe a year into the pandemic or a little earlier where people really didn't want to be talking more quickly or more often at all. But some people were still for some reason signing up for our product and then getting very disappointed like three weeks later, but they would sign up. So we started talking to these people like, what what, uh, what problem are you trying to solve? And what we ultimately boiled it down to is that people were p- struggling with team building, with mm-hmm. relationship building with their teammates. Yeah. And, uh, you know, relationships, you, you can't just build those at like scheduled times, like a happy hour, it feels like really forced to talk or like yeah. during a, a meeting about work. A lot of relationship building is done in small group conversations, like one, uh, sorry, two or three people about I, non-work topics. I, I want to dive more into relationship building, but I was just triggered by a couple of things you said about your earlier startups. It's always fascinating to me when people fail, not one, but maybe several times, or you go in different directions. And uh, you know, the obvious question is, did you learn something? But but I'm more actually interested than the, in the learning. I'm even more interested in why did you go at it again, right? Because learning <laughs> is one thing. So I'm sure you did learn a lot of stuff, but I just admire that you you know, for the third time went, went at it. Uh, so yeah. I want to just probe a little on that. So wh- how, how did that happen? Okay. So Wasn't the conclusion that you're okay. Yes. I learned something, but maybe I wasn't a good founder or yeah. did you, is, is, I'm just curious. It's very cool that you, you know, you, you did that three times. Thanks. Okay. So, I mean, I, I think the short answer is that I'm stubborn. Like, uh, you know, yesterday, uh, my partner and I were hiking in Arkansas. I was mentioning this to you, you know, before we started recording and, we couldn't find the hiking entry. And so it was like, oh, let's go home. And I was like, no, we're going to do a U-turn and like look again. And we obviously we found a thing. So this happens with me and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. But so I think it, for me, if, let's let's characterize the, the three attempts, right? So the first one was the gaming company. The second one was like Remotion, but like, you know, we were working on this productivity oriented thing. And then the current one is Remotion, but more, more team building oriented. So the gaming company, I actually left Dropbox because I felt like, during the beginning, I was learning so much from like an incredible team. But after a while, I realized that what I was learning in the later years was how to navigate like large company ways of working and like politics. And I just got very demoralized about that. Um, I remember I lost $500 in a bet versus a, like small bets versus all my managers who bet against me that we would actually ship a product. And I remember like losing that bet because we didn't ship this thing in over a year and feeling like, what am I learning here? This is not what I want. So I decided I would work at a smaller company and then I was like, okay, let me take the plunge. I'm going to go fail at a small company and then I'll like get a job at a smaller company, but I'll, I'll fail by myself and then I'll know what to learn. Um, that was the plan. So you so, set out to fail. I love that. Well, I didn't really say, I, you know, I was obviously, I was hoping I was, wouldn't fail, but the idea was like, okay, I'm going to go like, let's, yeah, like, should I, I was like thinking fail. about, yeah, probability. do I go to a medium sized company? Or do I go work at a startup or do I just try to start one? And I was like, okay, let me just try to start one. That's the most extreme version of learning here. And man, that was like getting slapped in the face. The, the biggest lesson there was about the fact that nobody cared about what I was doing and, it, it, you know, more formally known as distribution. Um, the, uh, 
at Dropbox, if you if you had an idea, you could you could just you know build it, and then you could have ten or a hundred thousand samples like trials of your idea conducted uh, with just a little bit of you know convincing someone to to drop your thing in a place that has traffic in the product, uh, right? And so when I was working in the gaming company, like no one cared, and I re- all of a sudden I learned that that painful lesson of like distribution is really hard, and you need to think about that. Hmm. And so after the the first year, which which didn't work out, I, I felt like I'd learned that lesson and it was time to try to apply it. And I felt like getting a job then would be kind of not leveraging the learning that I had had. So that, that's what kind of led me to keep going there. So um, let's go back to relationships then. You, you said that, you know, you're kind of pivoting now with Remotion to to co-working. You know, you were initially very focused on on co-presence in, in, in and of itself, but you're kind of pivoting to co-working. And I'm curious why, and maybe this is wrong of me here, but co-work like everyone's together is kind of one of your uh, taglines here. Why do we need to reproduce being together? Isn't being apart and co-working a different thing than being together? Or you, you seem very sort of eager to recreate some sense that we're co-working, even though we're sort of not, if we're apart. Why is that? What is it that we were missing with remote work if it's not the efficiency, which we talked about, and it has something more to do with the social aspect? But even if you're missing something, why would you want to kind of try to reproduce something that so obviously is of poorer bandwidth because you're remediating it with a more narrow channel, whatever number of technologies you're applying to it, it's always going to be inferior. That's at least my opinion. So why would you try to compete as opposed to sort of just say it's different and then exploit the differences? Or, or are you trying to do both? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I, I think for me, it comes down to what me and what our, our team and our customers care most about at work. I think all of our customers share one thing in common, which is that they show up in the morning because they want to work with their teammates. Uh, you know, like we're tech, so there's an incredible surplus of jobs and uh, a paucity of supply of labor, right? So like everyone that we work with, uh, most of our customers are in tech, you know, they're, they're in pretty privileged positions of being, having more jobs and more recruiter emails than they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then like, what, how do you choose who you want, like where you want to work? I already gave away the answer is who do you want to work with? Right. Mm-hmm. And so again, like our customers, they're not working remotely because they prefer like an asynchronous way of work. They're working remotely because they, I don't know, they want to live on Victoria Island, right. Cause that's where their family lives or, or something, right. Or, you know, we want to create a team that's diverse with people like across countries. Um, and so the the reason to bring back some elements of the office is if it helps you enjoy spending your time with your teammates more. And so, you know, it, it's interesting. Customers often will come to us or prospective customers and like, hey, we, we want to get the water cooler back. And there's always this exercise of I'm like, why? Because, you know, like the water cooler doesn't make sense remotely. Like the water cooler is where you go to get your coffee at the office, but my coffee machine is in my kitchen. <laughs> like I can't, yes. I'm not going to talk to you when I'm making coffee in my kitchen, right? Well, so so that's exactly what I was trying to ask you. Right. And we'll, so why would you, and why have people tried? I mean, maybe just explain that also, because there were so many failed attempts throughout the years to try to reproduce this. And now I, I mean, arguably we're in a better position than, than before, right? There's technologies coming of age that are actually augmenting and, and maybe virtualizing, you know, important parts of, of co-presence. But wh- why try with these like no, ridiculous it's... things like water cooler? Or, or is it the 
what happens at the water cooler you're trying to exactly. reduce. Yeah. Exactly. So, so there's two reasons. We can first let's talk about like just for remote teams because that's like the easiest problem to solve. Yeah. Talk about easiest problem to talk about. Then uh, we can talk about the shift happening in the market today towards hybrid teams, and that's there's actually a different reason to try for a hybrid team, uh, and it's still very unclear if it if it can be solved. But for a remote team, it's what happens at the water cooler. It's that you have a few people who hadn't scheduled a meeting to talk, uh, get into a conversation for a short amount of time, like maybe thirty seconds. Right. And just usually that conversation is something if we were to like, you know, uh, abstract it a little bit, it basically says, I recognize you as a human. I care about you. And like, tell me some random thing about, you know, your life. And for like a lot of companies, it's, uh, you know, it's at the water coolers or like a team lunch, you know, some cultures, they have like Fika, right? Like the coffee break, uh, you know, so there's a lot of different ways to accomplish that goal of sort of the small group, non-transactional conversation. And mm -hmm. so that's what we're trying to bring back. And we've tried many things. And the reason that right now we our emphasis is on the idea of co-working is because it's something that actually is sometimes done in the office, but is specifically good for remote. So co-working is, you know, in an office, maybe we would sit around the kitchen table with our laptops and like do some work there. And that would allow some, when I'm sitting at the kitchen table, it says, Hey, I'm okay with some small chit chat, some small talk. Uh, you know, on the other hand, I agree with you, like trying to recreate something like the water cooler is just completely nonsensical. Uh, right. But the why behind it is is interesting. So that's for so, a remote team, right? Uh, so no, no, non-transactional is what mm. you were saying. Non-transactional talk. Yeah. Why is that so important to relationships? I think it's how. I think you know. I'm not. I'm not a qualified uh, psychologist here, but you know, my understanding of it is that as you build up an understanding of someone and you build rapport of more things that you have in common outside of like the thing that you're trying to get done in the moment, it helps you see each other more for like humans, right? And it, you know, most people, uh, I think, think work is easier when you're friends and effectively that's what it is. It's establishing the shared context about each other and opportunities to, you know, work. We're often either trying to get something from the other person or agreeing or disagreeing on what, what should be done. Hmm. Right. So it's a, it's a different kind of exchange where it's just like, talking about someone's life and recognizing them for a human and, you know, showing interest in them is it's like more strictly just positive. And so it helps. So, so how, how do you, uh, facilitate these things? So we talked, uh, I guess earlier you and I a little bit about habit because some of this is about habit, just, you know, establishing kind of either common habits or learning the habits of other people, even though you you may not be there. So you might, you know, you and I have talked a few times now, so maybe you realize that, well, I also like coffee and like a given number of hours of work. And, you know, I right. definitely do need my coffee break. And then you can maybe even probe probe that and, and then sort of happens. I mean, what, what sorts of things is it that your technology, your company facilitates and helps people with, um, you know, to, yeah. to create this kind of non-transactional? It's a, it's a great question. And the, it's, the answer is kind of surprising and very simple in our case. So... You know, just thinking about some other things you can do, right? You could organize a happy hour. That's not us, but that's a thing that people do, right? Hey, let's sit in a room and it's going to be kind of awkward because we feel like we have to be talking and we're going to go serially through and like ask everyone how their weekend was. It's fine. It's fine. Just not the best. Um, you know, there's some creative things you can do. Like um, you could uh, write uh, a little article about each new hire who joins talking about their hobbies and stuff. And then, you know, you'll, I'll realize you like coffee too when you join our company and then I'll ask you about it. But the thing that's so hard to do remotely today is to sit 
in earshot of each other without saying anything, right? Like when working remotely, are you, can I hear you, but you're not saying anything and no one's saying anything? Is there just silence? It just doesn't happen. And unfortunately, when we feel like we have to fill, then we start saying stuff and it feels more forced. But when there is silence, then there's room for a little bit more authentic conversation to come out. And so if I was to really summarize remotion, we try very hard to create a context in which it is comfortable to be within earshot silently next to each other. So and, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't want to paraphrase uh, Seinfeld here, but you're commercializing silence. That seems like an awful lot of nothing. Yeah, <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, weird. That's like weird. Se selling water. I mean, this is like a primordial idea right, you got here. We're, we're, we're commercializing like something that you can do today on a Zoom call, right? Like get in a Zoom call yeah. and just everyone turn off their cameras and mute themselves and just sit there for four hours. And like, yeah, if, you, if your team is willing to do that, then you really don't need our product. But what we found is that there are a few things that help make that happen, right? Like one is it's useful to kind of using the, the table and the micro kitchen as analogy, it's useful to see who's there, right? And it's useful to see if they're in active conversation or if they're just focused on their work so that you can decide whether or not you want to join that micro table and work there for a moment. And so how do you do that? You signal it through some, because I've seen many of these systems before and they, well, inadvertently, they use some sort of, uh, avatar or something to sort of say, and then you have to like, you have like three different statuses, like I'm available, I'm not available in this, but it felt, felt always felt very binary to me. And I was wondering, oh, maybe my avatar isn't advanced enough. But actually what I think it is, is that the kinds of options that I was given and that I was looking at weren't advanced enough. It wasn't that the avatar didn't look like the other person or like, oh, it doesn't feel like I'm in a mingle space or I don't look like I'm at a table or this person. It, it, it was so, so I'm just curious, how did you solve for that? Yeah. Well, I don't think we've 100% solved it, to be honest. We're solving. But yeah, I agree. The avatar doesn't matter that much. Our avatars are really simple. It's just a, a selfie of yourself, like an actual photo. We, not everyone does it, but we highly encourage it because it's, it's fun to see if someone got a haircut, even though you don't go to the same office. Um, so, you know, you take it once, it's static, it's not live. Um, so yeah, the avatar doesn't matter. And, you know, for a while we tried really hard to, to, to do these status things like you mentioned, mm -hmm. and unfortunately it didn't work at all. So we had this thing like open to talk was a status and then like I'm around or I'm away, I'm focusing. We tried a lot of this stuff and ultimately there's still some statuses in our product, but that's not what drives conversation. Um, what we found drives conversation is having just a space, which we just call a room. It's pretty bare bones. It just doesn't have much. It's not a 2D space. It's literally like a thing you click into, like a Zoom meeting, except yeah. that everyone can see who's in, who's in that Zoom meeting, you know, who's in the room. And everyone can see whether or not the people in the room are talking or not. Like they can't hear what you're saying, but they can see if there's talking happening. And that by itself isn't enough. But then what you need to build around that is... Um, some habits and some gimmicks. <laughs> so, uh, when we spoke before, I remember you pushed a little bit on the gimmick thing and I, I actually reflected on that before we talked today. And we have a, a really interesting gimmick in Remotion, which is that we will play music in the room while no one's talking. And it's one of those things that it's like, it's not actually the reason our product's useful, but what it does is it makes it feel comfortable to not be talking because there's something else going on. There's some music and you're sharing this experience. And so the gimmick of the music makes people comfortable and also makes people willing to try our product as far as, you know, that's also useful for us because they're like, well, oh, that that's makes a, I mean, that doesn't sound like a gimmick at all to me. I mean, yeah. I, for a good part of my student days, I would work at coffee shops. Right. 
these weren't you know American coffee shops. They were you know European coffee shops where it's actually it was already normal to sit there for two hours, but I don't know. I made it a habit of maybe sometimes sitting there for four to five hours, and the music did help. Although I guess in Scandinavia, these coffee shops, you know, it was already geared for for longer, right. solitary type of activities, immersed in what whatever you're doing, uh, as well as teams or or even just you know people chatting. Um, but I think that makes a lot of sense. My question to you, and I'm not going to try to give you a super hard time, but I mean, you do realize that Zoom does exist and Slack does exist. So are they going to just copy your approaches and try the best gimmicks and, you know, get some of that going? Or are you going to capture just a complete different mind share because, you know, you, you're, you're going to build in this, this sort of trust in your, in your system that people start trusting that you have their best selves working co-working selves in mind yeah. you know for example i don't sit there and walk around and trust zoom to do the right thing the, the same way that a, any sort of large tech company I, I don't really trust them to do the right thing in fact i trust them to do the wrong thing eventually so i i i think you have a shot here i'm just curious you know give me some magic reasons why you would you would grow um and and you know carve out a, a, a you know a large niche here. Yeah. So first of all, give me all the hard questions. They're fun. You know, building a company it's like a shared sculpting experience, and the market is the other the other hand. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I, I don't know. Like sometimes you you talk to founders or you hear their pitch and like, well, like Zoom is full of like people who don't know what they're doing, and I think that's like uh, you know that's a lie. Obviously, they're they're really good at what they do, right? Yeah. Um, so the way that I like to think about competition in like room and spaces is what are they trying to do? So for example, in Zoom's case, Zoom, although you know, they've they've actually grown a lot uh, since the since the uh, the pandemic. So I might have to update my answer slightly. But the substance of it is the same, which is that they have bigger fish and more profitable fish to fry. Right. So in Zoom's case, initially, like they had this like winning enterprise product, and they should just spread that to as many companies as possible. The growth vector for their product was, you know, external meetings between companies. Right. Um, so they, you know, they should just be focused on that if they want to make as much money as possible to capture the opportunity for what they've built. Now, um, if you look at what Zoom's doing, it's it's clear that they're they're trying to compete with Microsoft Teams, which is a massive market opportunity, a massive financial opportunity. And so, if you want to compete with Teams, then you've got to focus a lot more on like things like text chat and like building and whiteboarding and like a portfolio of tools in that way. And so, I think Zoom knows exactly how to win, uh, and that is not by doing some weird novel stuff that we're doing. <laughs> It's by basically cloning Microsoft Teams features um, at you know the, the higher quality that I think Zoom can can do at least when it look at it, their AV. Um, so so Alexander, then that I guess that brings me a little bit to kind of the future of uh, co working and and productivity and, uh, and 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 enjoying work because it's it's all intermixed because you know if you just were looking at work productivity then yes it's a race between zoom and uh, and teams and and you know and you know a couple of others maybe to just release more and more useful and marginally kind of connected products that just see make it seamless to both do creative things together and apart and and then to sew it all together in in documents and texts and, and and products eventually right that's the real real big game changer if we were actually able to build products uh physical products which we were talking about you know remotely or or sort of hybrid but how do you see this future what what kind of future is it that you're building 
Um, is it a future of more co-working with happier workers? I mean, h- how do you see this evolve and, and sort of what future are you building into? Fundamentally, the change that we're trying to enable is for someone who's starting a company or growing a team to say, hey, I can hire from not just 20 miles around my headquarters, and I'm okay with people not coming to the office five days a week. And I think that not only will we have like a fine team with that set up, but we might actually have a better team because we've been able to hire like a more diverse like set of talent. And that talent is, as you said, happier, more productive because they're working on their own terms. And so like that's that's really our mission. Um, I think right now we're in this very artificial and frankly painful state where people are forced to work remotely. Um, and so the question I think about the next years is how, I th- so remote is definitely going to unwind. How far does it unwind, right? Was this trial, this, this horrible traumatic experience for the world and everyone's like, okay, as soon as we can get back to the office, let's do it. Or is the, is uh, do we enter a world where sort of some eyes have been opened and some new demands have been found to be reasonable? Uh, I'll explain that in a sec. And so now we, you know, we end up a little bit more flexible. Um, so I can't speak for all industries, but I can speak for like one of these tend to be early adopter industries, which is tech and what we're seeing now, right? Which is, I think any industry where there, there's a shortage of labor uh, and a lot of demand for jobs and opportunities, um, sorry, a lot of demand for, you know, talent, uh, then the, the labor is at an advantage in negotiating, right? And so I think what, what we're seeing in tech is that, um, you know, tech consulting to an extent, other industries as well, we're seeing that employees are now able to demand some remote work flexibility because whereas previously a manager could have said, hey, I would love to help you, but I can't because we can't be productive remotely. That argument has just been showed to be void. And so now people will sometimes demand like, hey, I, I want to work for you, but only if I can come to the office a few days a week or only if I can travel when I want or only if I don't have to move. Uh, and I think that's that's great. I think it will lag in industries where there are fewer jobs and there are people who want to have those jobs. Um, so, you know, right now we see like investment banking, for example, uh, as, as like everyone's coming back to the office, but I think over time, knowledge workers will, will get this, this type of flexibility. And I'm excited for that. And the, the role we see ourselves playing in that is in supporting the teams that want that flexibility, but again, have found it harder to build teams remotely because the types of people that they are and that they hire are people who value it, you know, time spent hanging out, time spent live together. Uh, obviously, so here, our ambitions don't end with uh, just helping people hang out socially, but we think that that is an excellent foundation upon which to build a broader set of tools that help people work together. Um, Do you remotely. think people, Alexander, have gotten better at co-working, uh, you know, when they're co-present uh, than before because of this pandemic that, inf- you know, basically triggered us wanting to be together, I guess, some of us at least, you know, and missing that, do you think we got better at working together or do you think we got worse or was there no difference? No, I, I think pe- people definitely got better uh, at, I, at, so I, I'm not sure if I, is your question about like, yeah, no, I'm just curious, did something happen? Because, yeah. you know, you're talking so much about enabling uh, hybrid and remote and I'm just thinking, you know, there's this uh, tacit ideal of co-working together, physically present. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, not everyone is great at that either. I mean, there are people who who sort of say, well, you know, I need my own space and I don't like interruptions and all that stuff. I mean, have we gotten better at respecting people's 
work habits because that's partly what this is about as well to enable yeah. people to know first of all know what you do best and where you work the best and then to try to tactically i guess place yourself whether remote or co-present you know i struggle with this every day too right you you know the various endeavors you're doing am i going to be home am i going to be you know there am i going to be at a client site where am i going to spend my physical time versus when i'm going to take this call got it yeah so this I, is I like you have this thing every day where you're trying to figure out where to spend your physical time yeah so i think we have gotten a lot better and i'd say the main dimension of improvement hasn't been in the intentionality about recognizing you know the different needs at different times uh, of work and choosing those right so i think whereas before it was just like come to the office every day now i'll be like okay today i want to focus up i'm gonna go to the library or i'm gonna stay in my house or something depending on your personality right, right. um and when you look at, I think some of the teams that are doing it best for what they're doing with their offices, they're changing the office setups away from, uh, you know, just like either cubicles or rows of open seating uh, towards setups where that are more about collaborations. Like, okay, when you come to the office, it's probably going to be for a social event or for like a strategy session or some kind of brainstorm or jam. And that's, that's when the office is incrementally useful, right? And maybe we're even willing to fly people in for that. So... But yeah, here, I'm going to challenge yeah. you again on that, Alexander, because weren't you just a moment ago saying that it is this informal interaction that is the magic? So here's my real tough question for you. Sure. Let's take a Google or take some company that has been immensely successful and let's postulate that it was precisely this co-present situation with the right 100 people at a given moment where the magic spark happened and they were still able to sit physically there and have all of their relaxed kind of habits and non-transactional time co-present and then they could huddle together when they needed to and now if companies now race to this idea that we should only spend time together if we're maximizing it now you're actually destroying what you just said that we have to recreate are, are you understand what i'm trying to say here that no, but- maybe in racing towards being hyper creative it's like okay but do you really know when people are creative? It's like, can I make a decision? Okay, on Wednesday, I'm going to go in and we're all going to be creative. Isn't that a recipe for disaster? Okay, so if you spent uh, you know, $10,000 and you're here on Wednesday to Thursday and you're going to be creative. So well, as a writer, for example, yeah. if I say I'm going to be creative on a Wednesday, lo and behold, I'll be creative on a Monday. It just happens. Right. So I think it's... Uh... What you're describing is actually how things worked anyways, right? Like if you think of that, this like, let's say some hypothetical team at a big company like Dropbox, because I know Dropbox, right? I work there. Right. Um, we absolutely had moments of focused creativity or focused like brainstorming alignment. And we called those offsites or onsite offsites. We had all sorts of fun names for them. And we would go spend huge or design sprints. We'd had spend huge chunks of focused time in there. And... So I, I don't think that's, that wasn't happening before. I think people still choose sometimes to have these like very long focus times. And the thing that we're trying to support is when you're not spending those focus times, right? Mm-hmm. And you're doing your day-to-day work in the office, you'd be like mostly spending time at your desk and milling around and having lunch, right? And remotely, you're spending most of your time in your home office or at a WeWork. Those are the times where it's useful to have the more casual ability to, well, to have casual conversations. And so that's what we're trying to enable. But I don't think that, um, I don't think that the idea of being intentional about when you do the broader uh, offsites 
is uh, is anything new. Um, that said, you know, I think you're, you're raising a valid point. I, I do think that this is going to be a challenge. Like as, as we get, if we, if we only get more intentional and we only do our company offsites, right. And we only do the design sprints at focus times, I think we're losing out. And so that's, that's basically where remotion wants to play a role. I, you know, if we're, if we're really boiling this down, I think that the amount of team building you'll get and the amount of collaboration you'll get, um, if everyone has to go into the office all the time is probably going to be a little higher, but maybe at the cost of productivity, like employee happiness and the team that you can bring together. And so the companies, I think there will be fully in-person companies even in the future as well for people for whom those trade-offs make sense and, you know, or for whose employees want to do it that way. Uh, but our belief is that there's a massive population that can be more productive and only slightly less collaborative um, by working together in a remote way. And in fact, you know, I'm, I'm already thinking of what certain people like in the remote world would say if they heard me say that. They would probably argue that the practices that remote forces you to pick up, such as good documentation, thinking about how to seek diverse perspectives on the decision you're making in, in documents, those can actually make you even more collaborative than otherwise. That's a, that's a, good, that's a good point. Um, either way, I mean, it seems to me that it's, we're not all going towards one thing here, right? So it's not right. like we all have agreed where this is all leading. It seems to me that even, even to state that, oh, the future is going to be hybrid work, that seems to be what everyone's landing on. And, and that's kind of a truism, yeah? But, yeah, exactly. But, but what does that really mean? I mean, right. of course, yes, of course it'll be hybrid, but are, do you mean 80% hybrid or 50% hybrid? Because that's very, very different. Right. I don't know. I, all I can do is agree with you here. I think that the, the future is going to be flexible. Hybrid's a, a sort of great broad word for flexible. It, we haven't even, there's no canonical definition of hybrid, right? There is the hybrid means we have some people who go to the office every day in New York and then some remote employees. Um, hybrid could mean we have people who can go to the New York office and then we have remote employees. Or it could mean everyone does live in New York, but you're, you know, you're flexible on when you come in. Have Lots you talked to any large employers, Alexander, who have a little bit of angst about this? Because if you either just moved into a big office and signed a big lease or the opposite, you, you know, you got rid of your office during the pandemic, I bet those people are scratching, both of them are scratching their heads right now because it's kind of uncharted territory. Yeah, the, well, I mean, so it's interesting. Many of the largest companies have been hybrid, if you will, or hub, hub and spoke actually since way before the pandemic, right? Like, you know, Google, we've cited a few times, like they have a number of different offices where the people within those offices were going together, but you frequently had to work across offices. And so in a way, I, I think that the the idea of sort of hybrid in-person remote collaboration is, is less new for, for the biggest of companies. Um, when we talk to larger companies, we it's interesting to hear like what problems people, people are focused on. And, uh, you know, the smaller teams, they'll talk about... Um, you know, wanting more casual conversation within the team. Um, at larger companies, it seems like the biggest problem that people are thinking about is how do we get people who don't work closely together to build relationships with each other? Yeah. Um, and that's a slightly different problem uh, where the thing we're building for, at least right now, isn't as good. Our, our bread and butter is like sub 50. Um, but I still think it's less likely that you're going to co-work remotely with someone who you've never met before who's on a completely different team. And so but I think bandwidth, the, just yeah. to bring us back to bandwidth, though, Alexander, I think, I mean, you, you're onto something here. And 
there are a couple of situations lately where I really felt this, that we are trying to figure something out, but we haven't quite. For example, a situation if you are in a bigger meeting and you are, let's say for the day you are remote and there's 50 people in a room and then someone in that room, maybe the CEO, sits on row 10 and starts to talk and is far away from the mic, plus far away from the camera. Uh, you do not feel as present in that room. So there are a lot of these little technicalities. Should there be some some sort of right to have the same bandwidth or something, you know, for remote workers? Because, you know, clearly I'm missing out. I can't see who's talking. I know who's talking, but I can't see them. I can't see their expression. I can't, you know, if they're making a joke, I'll be the last one to get it. And this yeah. happens and has happened and accelerated after the pandemic because you think it's okay to stay home. But it's obviously not in these moments because we haven't figured out how to do it. And I think only a few companies have said you have to turn on your laptop no matter if you are co-present because I want to see if you're talking, I want to see your face. Right. So first of all, I mean, I just, uh, I don't know. I hope I know I never want to work at a company where there's a 50 person meeting where it's unclear who's talking. For me, if we're like 10 plus people, it should be fairly the, the meeting should be fairly structured, right? There should be like a speaker uh, yeah, and then right. maybe some lightweight Q&A that's done in writing. But uh, taking, uh, I guess, digging more into it, it seems like there there's pretty clear consensus amongst uh, companies that have done hybrid for a long time that you want everyone to have their own device uh, if anyone is remote. So basically it's like one person remote, all people remote. So that's why, you know, you see a lot more phone booths going into offices or see people splitting up across meeting rooms. And I, I do think that makes sense for any collaborative meeting. Um, and, uh, you know, if it's going to be like a 50 person meeting, hopefully that's not a collaborative meeting. Hopefully that's like a, a speech. And then I think it, it matters less. Um, but, you know, that's it's a serious problem what you're talking about. If we are going to allow some people to be together and some people to be remote, how do we make sure we don't create a two tiered structure where there's like the first class citizens in person who get promoted faster, who get given the best opportunities faster because they have the ear of leadership? Um, and then this sort of second tier, which demographically we know is likely to be, for example, parents and, you know, there's other like strong demographic trends where like, do you, do you want your parents to get demoted like at a lower rate? Right. Or do you want like women to be demoted, uh, to promoted at a, at a slower rate? And so this is, this is something that companies are going to have to solve. And, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about remotion as a tool, but I do think that the, 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 the most, the biggest thing you can do as a company to help is actually just picking the right habits. And, uh, you know, as leadership, setting the right example for how these things are done. Well, I, I want to end on that note, setting the right habits. That uh, seems to be always the good, the right thing to do. So I, I hope uh, if people pick up anything from this podcast, I certainly uh, realized that the, the power of the right kinds of working habits for co-working, it's like almost like uh, an instinct you got to train yourself to to develop these these kinds of good good habits so thanks for uh reflecting on these things with us and and best of luck with uh co-working like everyone's together thank you so much through this fun chat appreciate it all right thank you you have just listened to episode 154 of the futurized podcast with host Rulana Unheim, futurist and author if you are interested in trans products and services feel free to check out futurized.org store where you can book a keynote speech, become a sponsor or a partner, request a podcast swap, or buy a few Otron's books such as Augmented Lean, Health Tech, Future Tech, Pandemic Aftermath, Disruption Games, or Leadership from Below. 
topic of this podcast was managing remote work presence. And in this conversation, we talked about what presence is in the workplace today and what will happen now that the question has been asked. My takeaway is that the pandemic triggered changes in the workplace and now the durability of those changes is being tested. Both managers and employees need to ask themselves how to achieve desired presence and impact in their workplace and working lives. Some of it might be best achieved by being together in person. Other needs can be satisfied by simply being together remotely. Work is usually about achieving something together. What that means is changing, but there is no reason to think that the dust is settled on this issue yet. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurize.org or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. And if you do like this topic, you may enjoy other episodes of Futurized, such as episode 150, Rogue Waves of Change, with futurist Jonathan Brill, who is author of the recent book also called Rogue Waves, episode 124 on cultural agility with Professor Paula Caliguri, or episode 113, Tech in Tomorrow's Learning Organizations with Michael Leckie, who's author of The Heart of Transformation. Hopefully, you'll find something awesome in these or in other episodes. And if so, let's, uh, let us know by messaging us. Please share this show with those you care about. Uh, and finding us on social media is easy because we are Futurized on LinkedIn and YouTube and Futurized 2 on Instagram and Twitter. See you next time. Futurized. Conversations that matter.